Good morning. Great seeing all of you and those of you who are watching uh, online as well. Welcome uh, to our service. I, at uh, 20 mi 25 minutes to 11, was talking to some people and I thought, I need to go back. I need to sit down and get myself rested for this service. I've got 25 minutes. <laughs> so, in other words, if I weren't the pastor, I would have walked in at 11, for sure. Um, <laughs> probably two minutes after 11, just the rest of my track record. Anyways, uh, open your Bibles, if you would, please, for, to Genesis chapter 1. That's a really hard one to find. It's the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible, so I encourage you to get that. If you don't have Bibles, we have Bibles in the seat rack in front of you here, and hopefully at home you have a Bible or you, you know, have the, an app on your phone uh, and so on. And I just want to underscore what, Tom, what John said, uh, I mean Pastor Love. Uh, what he said about it's not too late to join in on Bless, and just to remind you that it's about blessing. Our campaign last fall was about blessing our neighborhood around the church and blessing our neighbors around our homes and our workplace neighbors and all of that, and, and I think you know what goes into everything that went into that, and, um, and it's fun to see some of this stuff unfolding. But maybe last fall was not a good time for you, for one reason or another, to be able to participate. And we'd still love, if this is your church family, we would still love for you to participate in it. It's very simple. Just go to our website and go to the word bless, uh, and uh, it's over on the right side of the tabs. And just go on down, and you can make one-time contribution as well as pledge uh, for the next two years, because it is a two-year-long campaign plus couple of months uh, on either side of those two years. All right, so we're the third week of our series called Room of Marvels, and the uh, subtitle is a series on finan financial, foundational, foundational Bible doctrines. And um, this, is, this is a series, today we're going to be focusing specifically on the doctrine of humanity, what the Bible says about us and about everyone else. And here's a quick preview of some of the things that we're going to cover today. Uh, one of the things we're going to be looking at is the conventional wisdom that we oftentimes hear, we might even use sometimes, to sell, tell someone, hey, follow your dreams or follow your heart or be true to yourself. We're going to look at some of the problems with that perspective. It's not that it's completely off base. But it is problematic if you start there. Some big problems if you start there. We'll talk about that a little bit. Also, we're going to be talking about what the dirt under your feet tells you about yourself, about ourselves, and some pretty profound stuff. And one other thing that we're going to be looking at, in addition to other things, is we're going to crack the code on what it means to be made in the image of God. I mean, can you right off the top of your head go, this is what it means. I think when you leave here today, you're going to look at it in a broader way and maybe a more precise way, and, uh, and hopefully you'll have cracked that code in your own mind and you'll be able to, to know exactly what that means. So we're going to pray first for God's illumination, and this prayer is based on Isaiah 40, and then we'll hear the scripture read by one of our five ochres. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, in times of uncertainty, we thank you that you are constant you're always good. You do not change. Your word stands forever. Your promises remain. Thank you for the certain hope that you offer us through Jesus. Guide us by your Holy Spirit as we look to your word. Give us deeper understanding of who you are and who we are in you and open our hearts to the work of your spirit. Father, we bring some of the events of this coming week before you as well in this time. We think of what this weekend is, what Monday is, it's a holiday, 
but it's a day of remembering Martin Luther King Jr., the civil rights movement, of reflecting on the strides that have been made in civil rights, but also to reflect on what still needs to be done to bring biblical justice in our world. Our part in that and our country's part in that. Father, I also pray as the inauguration is happening this week, I pray that our current president, I pray for him, that he will do what is right and good. I pray for our incoming president, for President Biden, that you will guide him with your wisdom, that he will do what is right and what is good. We pray the same for our state leaders and our local leaders as well. We pray that you lead them into your wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's listen to the scripture being read. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. All right, so this series that we're in, it seeks to address a problem that is well stated by... Um, in a book uh, by Justin Bailey, when he was a pastor, he had a student come to him, a young adult come to him, and uh, stated a problem that I think a lot of us can, can relate to. Uh, the student said, when we're in church and I'm listening to the preaching, it's like you're weaving a spell, I believe, and the world makes sense to me. But then I walk out the door of the church, and it's like the spell is broken. It is difficult to take what we believe in here and to continue to believe it when there's an onslaught in our cultural moment all around us on those beliefs. And it's very, very difficult and increasingly more difficult to hold to those beliefs. So a solution that we're talking about in this series is um, to use a metaphor from C.S. Lewis is that we need stronger spells. And in this series specifically, we're applying it this way. We need to grasp and be captivated by sound doctrine. So in week one, we talked about what the scripture means by sound doctrine and how it can provide that, that stronger spell that we need as we, as we leave the church. Doctrine means teaching. And so this series is looking at eight major topics of biblical teaching that we get from Scripture. They're foundational, key doctrines in Scripture. Last week, we looked at the doctrine of God. This week, we're looking at the doctrine of humanity, what's essential to know about ourselves and about everyone else. And in this series, we're interacting with this book, Emblems of the Infinite King, which is a theology book for people 10 years and older. And there's plenty here for adults, and it'll stretch a 10-year-old for sure. But it does theology. It covers Eight foundational biblical doctrines with some incredible um, artwork. These are the emblems, as well as uh, as well as placing theology within a a story. It, it's told like a story, and the basic idea behind the story, and it's what we're using in this. It, it's important that I go over this every week because we might have new people um, joining in. But 
the way that the story works is, imagine that you're living in a fortress. And in that fortress, you've been told this is all there is. Everything on the outside is not, is not real. We live within our culture in a, in a sense a fortress. It's like uh, one philosopher says, it's like someone has taken and putting a, put a building over us and said, all that there is is what you can taste, feel, touch, see. And the transcendent, God, spirit, all of that does not exist. We live inside this fortress. But the storyline, as it goes in this book, is that we get a peek into what's in that outside world by walking into what we're calling for this series a room of marvels. So in the story, there is a mysterious keykeeper, and he comes with these keys. And each time you turn the key in this special room that we're calling the room of marvels, uh, uh, an aspect of the world of reality is displayed to us. And it's specifically in the book and in what we're doing, what the scripture says about that aspect of reality. So that's where we are. We find ourselves in the room with the dust key looking at humanity today. So uh, I've referenced a couple of times in recent weeks a book by Trevin Wax called Rethink Yourself. Not yourself, Rethink Your Self, the self, that, that aspect of you that is the self. And what he does is he looks in that book at the habit that we have of looking in our culture, of looking for true meaning and purpose and identity within ourselves. So we think that when we get in touch with our deepest desires, that then we can figure out what our life is about, what our path for life is is all about. And so you have phrases like be true to yourself and discover yourself and all these sort of things. Discover what your dreams are and pursue your dreams. Now there's a major problem with, with that being a starting point for discovering who you are and what your purpose is. M many major problems. One that Trevin Wax talks about in the book is that if we look within ourselves, every single one of us, our testimony will be that many of our desires are conflicting with each other. In other words, I desire this, but I also desire this, and I can't have both. I can't, if I pursue this desire, it's going to destroy this desire. If I pursue this desire, it's going to produce, and they're all connected, and they're inside of each one of us. Our desires are warring against each other. Another problem, he says, is you look deep within ourselves. Sometimes we can't discover, we can't get deep enough to see what our deepest desires are, because there are Desires, and then sometimes there, is a, there might be a desire. For example, you may have a desire that you know is destructive, you know is not good, but underneath that desire, there is a pure desire. There is a desire that, that, um, that, that is reflecting something good and pure and good for humanity. It's just it's, it's expressing itself in a way that is destructive to you or to, to other people. But the problem is when we start with ourselves and we go in there, we don't have an objective way of looking for those basic better desires that are maybe behind some of our more base and destructive desires. We can't judge them because we don't have a source from outside of ourselves that is explaining to us how it is or what it is that is a pure and good desire. So the Bible offers a different way, different way of approaching this. It says God designed us, and he designed us with desires, deep desires, and with a meaningful purpose. 
So here's some questions that we need to ask ourselves as we, we're not going to like answer all these questions, but in, in a way we're going to be addressing this. What if we pursued our identity and our purpose and our meaning by looking first to God instead of first looking deep inside of ourselves? In other words, there comes a point where we need to look inside of ourselves. But what if we started with God first and let him determine what our life is supposed to be about and then look within ourselves? What if our desires are broken? And what if we looked to God to help us form, direct, and reshape those broken desires? If seeking happiness by being true to yourself or by following your heart, apart from God's ideas about who you are, is leaving you disappointed, if it's leaving you feeling like a failure, I mean, the, the idea that we should follow our heart is like a recipe for failure. You will not achieve everything that your heart desires, even if it's good. You will not achieve it. If you're feeling like a failure, if you're feeling confused because of those warring desires in you, then consider what God says about you. Let's watch the first portion of chapter 2 of Emblems of the Infinite King. Chapter 2, The Dust Key, The Doctrine of Humanity. With the turn of the key, the stars and throne disappear. Everything goes black. His song goes silent. This is a different darkness, unlike any you've ever felt before. There is nothing but nothing before your eyes. Everything you've ever known, everything you thought would always be there, the sky, the sun, grass, color, wind, gravity, laughter, air, is gone. All that stands before you is void and darkness. The emptiness feels unbearable. You just want to go back to the way things used to be. But there is nowhere to turn, because there is nowhere. Just before panic sets in, a new, severe, and regal voice cuts to the dark with a direct command. Let there be light. Just as that last word echoes in the void, a burst of brilliant white overcomes the darkness. But the speaker is not done. With more words comes more creation. Let there be a heaven, earth, and sea. Let the earth bring forth plants, fruits, and trees. Let the sky be filled with the sun, moon, and stars. And let them divide day from night. Let the seas, the earth, and the sky be filled with wildlife. And in just a few sentences, everything you once knew and took for granted, night and day, earth and sky, was back and better than it ever was. That's when you see him, like a conductor before his newly made orchestra, the king stands watching and directing the world his words have brought into existence. Everything already seemed perfect and right, but the king is building up to his finale. He even changes his approach. Instead of speaking something new into existence like before, this time he slows down and lets you listen in on his divine plans. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. These words seem like a map to bury treasure. They are the king's answer to the world's biggest, most important questions. By making humanity in his own likeness, 
God gives your life beauty, order, and purpose. Having the image of God explains who you are, why you matter, and what your life is really all about. But what does it mean to be made in the image of the King? Where do you even begin to understand this? That's when you hear that familiar, wise voice behind you whisper. All right, what's essential? What's essential to know about yourself and everyone else? And the first one is that your purpose lies in the dust. So that's how the emblem's author puts it. And here's where the idea comes from. You can stay in Genesis 1, but here's in Genesis 2. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are like two tellings of the creation story. Um, the first one is broad. The second one goes into much greater detail. And here's, here's what the greater detail says. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust, the dirt of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now, we're obviously more than dust, and we're going to talk about that in just uh, a moment. But here's what the author of emblems means by saying that we are dust. You didn't make yourself. God did. The dirt under your feet should be a constant reminder that you owe your life, your everything, to the king. So there's an old story I've told before. I will retell it again because it's perfect here. A story about a group of scientists who had decided once they had learned how to clone life, they had decided they no longer needed God. They basically could do everything that God could do. And so they picked a representative to go and speak to God and to tell God, we're done with you. You're, you can leave now. You know, we, we don't need you anymore. And so he did that, and God said, okay, but before I go, why don't we have a man-making contest? And the guy's like, yeah, we can, we can make life. Okay, no problem. And he says, but let's do it like I did back, way, way back. The guy thinks, okay, so the scientist reaches down and grabs some dirt, to which God says, oh, no, 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 no. Get your own dirt. It's God's dirt. You didn't make yourself. God did. The dirt under your feet should be a constant reminder that you owe your life, you owe your everything to the king. So you're a created being. And from the idea of being a created being, one of the, 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 there are several themes that come from that in Scripture. One is that we owe our life to God. We owe our lives to God because we're created. But, and we are reliant on Him for life because the Scripture doesn't just communicate that we are made by God or that God creates the entire universe, but that God sustains the very universe that we're living in. If not for God, the universe would cease to exist. He is the sustainer of everything. So we're reliant on Him for life. And then you are under the reign of God. He is the rightful king. He is the rightful leader, the Lord of our lives as our creator. It's a theme that runs throughout Scripture. It's all throughout the Old Testament. It comes to Jesus. And what does Jesus talk about more than anything else? Summary of Jesus' preaching in the Gospels. This is the summary. He preached the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's a summary. That's what he talked about, the kingship of God, the kingdom, the rule of God. Then you get to the end of the story in the new creation, at the very end of Revelation, and God comes back down to the new heaven and the new earth to live among us and to rule among us forever. And we rule in his name forever. You are a created being. Therefore, all these things are true of your life. 
Okay, what else do we need to know uh, about ourselves and everyone else? That humanity is more than dirt. There's more to humanity than dirt. So we're going to watch another clip or listen to another clip from Emblems. The image bearer's ways. There's more to humanity than dirt. That is why there is more to humanity than just dirt. There is the breath of God also. To make man a living creature, the king actually breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Genesis 2, 7. While he speaks the rest of creation into existence from afar, the king makes man in a close, face-to-face -face way. This two-part creation of man, earth and breath, hints at this truth. The king made you with two unified parts. First, the king gave you a physical body. Remember, God used the real physical world to create the first man. But there is also the second part, a spiritual or soul part found in the breath of life the king breathed into humanity. These two parts work to make up one whole. Adam is not completely Adam without both the physical and spiritual parts united together in him. That is why he isn't a living creature until he has both. Body and soul work together like a harmony. They are two notes played at the same time to make a beautiful and more striking sound together. Or it's like playing a chord on a piano or a guitar. You press two different keys or strings to make one note. If you miss a key or a string, then it is no longer a chord. It is the same with your humanity. To be human is to have both body and soul. It was that way with the first man. And it is that way with you right now. All right, there's more to humanity than dirt. We're going to talk about four or five different uh, implications of that, some covered by what we just listened to. So you are more than dirt. You're also the breath of God. This is where Christians understand we get our value. This is where the dignity of human life and the sanctity of human life comes from. Christians believe that human life um, belongs to God and has dignity because of the breath of God. We have a ministry partner here with us today, <coughs> New, Life, <coughs> New Life uh, Family Services, and that ministry is built on the foundation of the dignity and the sanctity of human life, all human life, human life in the womb to human life all the way through all stages of life. Um, we believe this because of the breath of God. In our cultural moment, the value of human life and where it receives that value is hotly debated. There is no agreement as to the value of life, where it comes from, why we should value it, and when it becomes valuable in our culture. In a book that I recently uh, finished um, called The Triumph, The Rise and Triumph of the Something Self, I can't remember, but it's about how the self has become so important in our society. And it's a sweep, a historical sweep that goes all the way back to the 1600s and works its way uh, into today. He has this one section where he deals with one of, the, um, uh, one of the leading thinkers today, a guy by the name of Peter Singer, 
who is an ethicist who teaches and has taught for years at Princeton and is, um, is a guy that made a name for himself years ago by arguing for animal rights by saying that really there is no difference between a brand new newborn baby, a cow, or a pet. And he wasn't saying that none of them deserved life. He was saying, well, actually, all of them deserve life equally. That was, his, that was his argument. Now, if you think that's something fringe, you know, some kind of fringe type of teaching, look him up on Wikipedia. He's not fringe. He's mainstream in the university system and in that thinking. But here's the thing. Singer values newborn life, newborn babies. And he thinks everyone else should as well. So he has it on himself as an ethicist to make a case for the value of a newborn baby from an atheistic standpoint because he is a committed atheist. Um, And he's brilliant. He has a a pretty detailed argument uh, for how it is that human life should be valued and valued in some ways more than animal life. And it is brilliant, but as you hear his arguments, you can't help but get the feeling that from time to time, he has to dip down into the ground and grab some of God's created earth. (laughs) Because he doesn't want a world devoid of a God, the logical consequences of a world devoid of God. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want a world where a person is valued as it was until Christianity entered the world, until Christianity entered the world. A person was valued because the king, the powers that be, told you who was valuable and who was not. Apart from kings, your tribe would tell you who is valuable and who is not. So if you don't belong to my tribe, you're not as valuable, if not valuable at all. If you don't belong to my race, If you don't belong to my country, if you don't belong to my clan, if you don't belong to my class, if you don't belong to my caste, you are not valued because my caste, my race, the people that I identify with most, they tell me who is valuable. It's going to be people that, however it is that I'm slicing things, reflect who I am. He doesn't want, he doesn't want that world. He's he's an evangelist for caring about human life, but doing so without a God. It reminded me as I was listening to the argument, reading the argument once again, uh, even this morning, um, that uh, what Mark Sayers, a pastor, author, philosopher from Australia, often says. He says, we want the kingdom without the king. We want the values of justice and all those things that go back to God and that go back to revealed Scripture, but we don't want the Scripture and we don't want the King. And eventually that leads to some some major, major dead ends. But as Christians, the idea that we get our value, the idea that we get our value from God, from His breath, from His love, from His sacrifice on our behalf, this is foundational. This is a foundational idea that we need to build our lives on, our purpose on. This is an idea that we need to build our own values on. You are more than dirt. You are also the breath of God that gives you dignity. Secondly, you are not just the breath of God. You are physical flesh and blood. The the book makes that point. You heard it in there where he said you're, you're more than just dust. 
God breathes in your soul, the two notes that make you make a human what a human is. Again, in our cultural moment, what you think about yourself, what you think that you are, what you identify as the core of your being is not only disconnected from God, this is the, the, the dominant cultural idea, not only what you are is separated from God, you really should look within yourself, not to some outside source, but it's also disconnected from biology and nature, from your flesh and blood. Just one example is that you can, in our culture, determine what your sex or gender is for yourself based on what? Based on how you feel. Going into yourself and saying, this is what I feel. And I'm not denying that some people feel some things that would make them want to violate what their biology and nature is. But it's another step to say, so that is what I am. And so biology and nature needs to be bent to match what I think I am. Do that through operations, medications, all that sort of thing. And when it can't, it just should be ignored. It's irrelevant. And it's not just this is how I feel about myself, but you need to get in line with how I feel about myself. Now, the story of God emphatically disagrees with that. Now, it doesn't mean we have to emphatically disagree with people. We can be, we can be loving and we are called to be loving and respectful with people that we disagree with. But the Bible tells us that our desires are broken. Not a one of us uh, lives without broken desires. Every single one of us is deeply, deeply broken. Because of that, the Bible says we shouldn't always get what we want. <laughs> that it is not a good thing to always get what you want. And because not only we are broken, but our whole world is broken, we're not always going to get what we want, even when it aligns with what God wants for us for now. So in the biblical story, a day is coming when that alignment of what God wants, we will want, and what God has wanted will happen in that new creation, that'll happen. But for now, we live between the times, and we leave, live with broken desires. But we're part of a bigger story. We're part of a better story that's unfolding and that gives us hope when our desires go unfulfilled. Healthy desires as well as broken desires. You are more than dirt. You are the breath of God, but you're more than breath. You are a physical flesh and blood human being. Number three, you are not just dust. You are the image of God. For this, we go to the creation account back to Genesis 1. So, if you turn to that, or hopefully that's where you are already in Genesis 1, let's look at that story again about the making of humanity in the image of God. Beginning in verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish, and explains that. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female, he created them, you see all the repetition over and over again, and then verse 28 again, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish 
um, in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What is the primary meaning of being made in the image of God? You probably have some ideas. Uh, it's tied to the next point, so we'll come back to that question here in a second. You are not just dust. You are a king in service to the king of kings. You're king in service. Male and female, you are a king in service to the king of kings. And the reason for saying this is, okay, so Genesis 1. It's a revelation from God given to Moses and revealed to the people of Israel after they get um, out of Egypt and before they enter the promised land. And when the phrase image of God would have been used, there would have been a clear referent. It, it, was, it was a term that was used in that day, and there is something that would have come to their minds, and what he says in here about being made in the image of God would have blown their minds. So what is that thing that would have come to their minds? Now to see that, we're going to watch a little portion from the Bible Project video on the image of God. So if you lived in ancient Bible times, odds are you lived under the authority of a king. And many of these kings claimed that they were oh. gods, and they would even call themselves the image of God. Meaning they had authority to tell people what to do, order things to be made. Yeah, they got to define good and evil. And these kings would often make statues of themselves, which in Hebrew were called tselem, often translated as idol or image. But for Israel, they didn't view their kings as the God. In fact, they were never supposed to even make images of God. It's exactly right, and that was really unique for that time and culture. This is rooted, first of all, in Israel's belief that you can't reduce the Creator God down to any one thing in creation. But there's another reason. People aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of Himself. When did He do that? Well, let's go to page one of the Bible. And the first person we meet there is God. He's the one with authority over all creation. He speaks and creation obeys. And he defines what is good and not good. In other words, he alone is king. But then surprisingly, as the pinnacle of all of God's creative work, he makes humans. And he calls all of them the image of God. So he gives all humans the authority to rule. Exactly. That's what he goes on to say. He tells the humans to subdue the earth and to rule it. And so this task that once belonged only to elite kings is here in the Bible the task of every human being. This was a revolutionary statement in its day because all humans are being called to rule and to participate in the human project. All right. That's what would have come to the mind of those Hebrews waiting to go into the promised land. They would have immediately thought, image of God, that is, that is the king. And, but we are made in the image of God. So let's look at Genesis 1, 26 through 28 again. And with that in mind, notice what is there everywhere you turn. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. So God created mankind in his own image. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule. This is what would have come to mind when, when they heard that they were made in the image of God. When you know this, that we're made in the image of God so that we can 
rule over the earth, you start understanding what your purpose is. You start understanding that you are a king of sorts who serves under the ultimate king, the king of kings. All right, this has all kinds of implications, and we'll, we'll deal with it in the next point. So what's essential to know about ourselves? Um, it's essential to know the reason that God made you. What is your purpose? So emblems uh, makes a point that is, throughout the Scripture, part of what it means to be made in the image of God. God made humanity to reflect His character and His ways to a watching world. So when I said earlier, what comes to mind when I say image of God, being made in the image of God, if you thought reflection, I'm to image Him, I'm to reflect Him, you were correct. It's a high calling. It's an incredible um, purpose in life. Next week, we're going to look how, how it is that as humans, every single one of us rejects that calling. We reject that our purpose is to serve under that king, to reflect that king. We want to reflect ourselves. We put ourselves at the center of everything. We want to be true to ourselves. We take the self and we put it where only God belongs. The very way that our heart bends into itself. And then if you look at the testimony of all of our stories, watch Netflix or Amazon Prime, read the books that are being published that have been published, the classics, everything. Read the stories of our time in the media of our time, and what you see is a humanity bent in on itself, having removed God from the picture. Much of those stories are beautiful. Many of those stories are heroic. They'll, they'll get to your heart, but the reality is if you follow the story of a life that is bent in on itself, if you follow it to the end, it is always tragic. It's always tra The rest of the story is always tragic. For many, living in this fortress, what is reality is the self, and freedom and hope comes in the room of marvels as God unfolds a different and better story than one that is bent in on itself. All right, so part of what it means to be made in the image of God is certainly to reflect just the basic meaning of the word, is to reflect God and his character to our world. But secondly, God made humanity to rule over everyday, through everyday acts of work and creativity. It's there in the text. Multiply, cultivate, create culture, build families, towns, cities, nation. It's all there in Genesis chapter 1. And then again, we see it in Genesis chapter 2. So we're going to watch another short clip um, from the Bible project. Let's watch. He tells the humans to subdue the earth and to rule it. And so this task that once belonged only to elite kings is here in the Bible the task of every human being. This was a revolutionary statement in its day because all humans are being called to rule and to participate in the human project. So what does this mean? I mean, how are we all supposed to rule? So the picture we get in Genesis is gardening. Gardening? Yes, gardening. So they rule the earth by cultivating it, by harnessing all of the earth's raw potential and then making something more and new out of it. So growing food for each other. Yes, but that also includes growing families then, which become neighborhoods, and then they create communities where people are going to work and take care of each other and build businesses and cities that will expand to new places and so on. So ruling is really the day-to-day -day acts of 
our work and creativity. Yes, we take the world somewhere. This is humanity's divine and sacred task. All right. This is, this is why you hear, oftentimes you hear it here at Five Oaks, that your work, everyday work, going to school, mowing the lawn, cleaning the dishes, um, studying for tests, all of that comes together, friendships, voting, all of that comes together under this idea that we are called to rule and subdue the earth. It's creating culture. The creativity seen by the Bible Project, guys, if you've ever gone there. The creativity seen um, by the Emblems book. There, this, this comes out of a studio. There's a theologian that's part of this and an artist that are part of it, a publisher that wanted to bring those two things together. Um, that kind of creativity are ways of being able to reflect the image of God. It's what God calls us to. God made humanity to rule through everyday works. That's what it means, to rule. To rule through everyday acts of work and creativity. What's essential to know about you and about everyone else? We're going to close this off with the last page of chapter 2. There is a better image bearer. There is a better image bearer. Let's listen to that last portion of Emblems. A better image bearer. Because the world isn't paradise. But the world isn't paradise. You are miles away from Eden. And so many people seem miles away from real joy, don't they? That is because something bad happened. The world doesn't want God's kingdom anymore. These days, the image of God seems like a broken, fractured mirror with lots of missing pieces. Here's the problem. When people don't know who they are or what they're supposed to do, they make up their own answers and their own reasons. That's like trying to replace the sun with the moon. The moon isn't strong enough to keep things in orbit and the planets would spin wildly out of control. You and your answers aren't strong enough either. You can't make up a purpose strong enough to keep your world together. Eventually, it will spin out of control unless the king returns to his rightful place at its center. In God's grace, he offers to restore your world. God promises to piece back together again the image you fractured by doing the unimaginable. God becomes man to show you the perfect image of God. God the Son enters the world as the man, Christ Jesus. He becomes a better Adam to fix what the first Adam broke. Christ reteaches you who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do. In the Son, you have a way to be truly, fully human once again. Only the King's kingdom lasts. This is why he made you for his kingdom and tied your life to it. It's also why you need God's Son to restore you to his kingdom. But before you can fully understand how Christ rescues your humanity, you must first feel a different kind of darkness. Not the before creation darkness you felt when you turned this key, but the darkness that enters the world through a serpent's forked tongue lies. If you are ready, if you have the courage to face the darkness of your sin and death, turn this key and open the lock. It's part of the rescue of humanity, part of the piecing back together the pieces of the image of God.
God becomes a man. Jesus goes to his death on the cross, and before he does so, he takes the bread of Passover, and he holds it up before his disciples, and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup of Passover and he said, this is my blood shed for you for the remission of your sins. Drink this, remembering me. Father, we are so thankful for this reality that is not anything we're going to find within ourselves. It's not a reality that we're going to find in our world. It's a reality that's been revealed to us. You have been at work in marvelous ways. And Father, I pray that we would recognize what you have done for us, recognize who we are in you, and recognize who every human being is because they have been created by you. Help us to recognize you as king and to follow you as king even when nobody else around us will. Help us to live for you in everything that we do and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.